0: Greetings, creeps, and welcome to Horror Girl Problems, the podcast slash videocast. Thanks for listening, Mom. Welcome back to the month-long Horror Girl Problems half-ass Halloween party. COVID is certainly not going to stop me from dousing myself in blood and makeup and sharing spooky shit with you, creeps. Trick or treat, you all are in for a treat. Today we have author of Head Cheese. Jess Hegeman, with a new short story exclusively premiering here on Horror Girl Problems for you weirdos. This story is sincerely beautiful. It grapples with a lot um, so effectively in such a short, concise amount of time. It personally struck a lot of chords deep, deep, deep within me. So I'm so excited to share it with you guys and I hope it resonates with you as well. And now I present to you the purple. Mrs. Virginia Lapp died at age 36. For most of her life, she went by Ginny, but the obituary reads Virginia, and so does her headstone. It was after her death that Jillian Emily Lapp changed her name to Jilly, partly as tribute to Ginny, partly to feel closer to the mother she only had for five years. As for Tarolyn, Ginny's other daughter, she lives the rest of her life feeling too close to mom, like she is halfway to dead already and wading deeper all the time. Taryn was the one to find their mother, in bed, and definitely not asleep. At seven, Taryn spent most of her time in Monsterland, playing hide-and-seek, and yes, cheating. The rules were that the person hiding could go anywhere in Monsterland, so long as she used no more than two portals to get there, and the person seeking could count off as many Mississippis as she wanted, but must get to at least 20 to be fair to the hider. Other unspoken rules, like avoiding boys' chambers, were moot, because it took at least seven portal interludes to get there, all of them password-protected, and monsters don't like to play by rules anyway. It seemed to Taryn that their handbook changed as often as the portals did, and so she didn't usually bother with Monsterland current events. But they all abided by the two-portal rule, because it was too easy to prove when someone was lying. And that was another unspoken rule. Absolutely no lying. A banner reading, I hope I shall possess firmness and virtue enough to maintain what I consider the most enviable of all titles, the character of an honest man, hung from the ceiling of the rudder room, where every monster saw it every day. It had drifted down from under a bed one time and had promptly become the state motto. Terran tried to limit her cheating to true emergencies only. For example, when she'd been hiding for five hours and she really needed to pee, then she would leave a yellow post-it at wherever she was hiding that read, sorry, better luck next time, and crawl back out from under the bed. Depending on what part of Monsterland Terran was in when she exited, she might come out from her bed, her parents' bed, or even Kingsley's cat bed. One time it was her neighbor's flower bed, but Terran quickly ascertained that it was an exit only and not an entrance. For one thing, there was no slip, and no slip cover either. On the Sunday that Ginny Lap died, Taryn waited like an ant in her underground hollow for the thing with sticky fingers to find her. She'd only been there ten minutes, but she'd been silently rooting him along. The week before, the thing with sticky fingers had caught her in a lie, and to punish her, he'd wrapped his long lizard tongue eight times around her slender wrist. His tongue was full of barbs, and when he'd squeezed, they'd all at once broken through her skin. The marks he'd left looked like chigger bites, a hundred of them, and equally itchy, with spiraling tendrils of bruise. It had hurt, but what had hurt worse was the look of stern disappointment in his eyes. Terran, his Terran, she was a liar. Terran wanted to make it up to him, so she'd chosen a very easy spot, one portal off the rudder room. He should have found her instantly, But when Taryn was listening hard for the giveaway padding of sticky lizard feet, she heard instead, like a sow on the wind, her own name from very far away, Taryn. From the top, perhaps of a wishing well, and she under the water, it was Jilly, and that meant it was dinner time, and that meant Daddy would be expecting her. She sighed and scribbled a post-it for her seeker. Sorry, better luck next time. Then she felt overhead for the slip. It was a feeling and a smell, just like falling under the bed, but in reverse, falling up. To fall up from Monsterland, one must raise one's arms above one's head and flop them around in the air until one whacks one's hand smartly against a rigid ledge. The ledge will be dusty to the touch, as most underbeds are, or dirty in the case of the garden, and you'll know that you've found the right ledge when you recognize the smell of home. Every home has a smell, and every smell is intimately tied to some sense memory. When Taryn had fallen up in her neighbor's garden, it had been because she smelled the lilac bush, heavy and utterly purple-scented, growing next to the cherry tomatoes that she and Jilly popped like candy at harvest time. On this night, Taryn found a smooth, cool ledge, fine-grained and not very dusty at all. Before she sniffed her fingertips, she had already gathered the -the back-to-the-womb smell of her mother's laundry. Sometimes, when they were all watching a movie together, Taryn had laid her head in Virginia's lap, pressing her face for a moment into Mom's belly. Clean cotton and soap overwhelmed her senses, as well as something else. Something definitely Mom. At first, it seemed like it would choke her, this cloying cotton that maybe was really chloroform. But then Taryn relaxed. "'breathed slowly and deeply, "'and she seeped back out of the floor "'like a wrung sponge, "'girl stuff rematerializing in her own reality. "'She sneezed into one of her mother's old T-shirts "'and wriggled toward the edge of her mother's bed, "'pushing wrapping paper rolls and daddy's guitar case "'and the other refuse of an accumulated life "'out of her way as she went, "'brushing mom's hand aside, "'her wedding ring shiny and loose, "'brushing mom's hand aside. "'Taryn waited for her mother's little scream,' the half-awake gasp of a grown woman who'd never fully stopped believing in monsters. One second. Two. Mom? Terran tried tentatively, hoping to spare Virginia's fright, but Mrs. Lapp made no sound, no cooing. What on earth are you doing under there, tear bear? So Terran slid closer, pulling herself on her belly toward the violet light of a dusky evening peace. She couldn't help but brush her mother's hand once more, with her hip this time. As she scooted three final feet. As she did so, Mom's wedding ring slipped off a too thin finger, clattering loudly, abruptly, profanely, to the floor. Terran saw the gold band spinning in lazy ellipticals, saw the hand it fell from curled and emaciated as talons, a wrist so thoroughly fragile, and the flesh there cast in purple Sunday light. Except when Taryn slithered a hand out to pick up the now quiet ring, she saw how white, how healthy, how alive her own skin looked compared to her mother's. The shadows were not purple. Mom's arm was purple. Just the week previous, it'd only been her face. Disease strikes when the mind-body balance is off. Or when you need to be forced to rest because you haven't listened to your body in too long. Or when you're just unlucky enough to get bitten. A further rule of Monsterland is that unmatched monsters do not leave it, ever. Maurice could leave because Brian Stevenson was his link to this world. The thing with sticky fingers stepped out whenever the bracelet, the threadless cord connecting him and Terran, as it did Terran and Jilly, was strong enough. If a monster leaves before he has been matched, he has no way to fall back under the bed. And when the sun comes up in the morning, the way the wolf's skin fell off in strips great furry blood and bone wallpaper strips. The hide was yellow and glabrous and already tanning. Is one night of freedom worth it? Taryn wondered. And mom hadn't seemed so affected at first. A bit of swelling and joint pain, that was all. She said she had just woken up, was sitting on the edge of the bed, her feet in slippers yet, when the rat under the bed ran up and bit the back of her ankle." She said she listened to it moving around down there all night. How could you not hear it? She demanded of her husband over breakfast Christmas morning, her bleeding ankle wrapped in gauze as they debated the necessity of a hospital visit. Can I see it, Mom? Taryn asked, indicating the wound. And Ginny Lapp acquiesced. She peeled the length of white medical tape that held her bandage in place. And with Taryn at her back, Mrs. Lapp did not catch the expression that flitted briefly across her eldest daughter's face. It was a look of recognition and anxiety accompanying exactly what that recognition meant. Then Taren composed herself and said brightly, He sure got you good. It's a deep cut, Jen, Taren's dad chimed in again. Let me take you to the hospital, if for nothing else, to make sure that rat didn't have rabies. Mrs. Lapp laughed. Rabies, Charles? I'm telling you, it was some scared little critter that got in where it wasn't supposed to be. I'm fine. Let's just set some traps or something. Not scared, not little, Terran thought. The one-inch scratch at her mother's Achilles looked as though the wolf had caught her with nothing more than a half-hearted pinky swipe. Ginny would probably be fine. Probably. If there was any doubt in Terran's mind exactly what or who had bitten her mother, the events of the next 60 seconds made her dead certain. The first beam of winter light cut through the kitchen curtains, fluttering in the steam above the floor vent. Light impaled a white bar through the tiny pat of melting butter on Terran's pancakes. As the light grew, the howling became a piercing shriek groan, so loud and high-pitched Terran expected the windows to shatter, the crystal wedding present in the china cabinet to explode. She clapped her hands over her ears and squinched her face tight and forgot at first that her parents couldn't hear a thing. Until, that is... Jillian began screaming. The little girl was sleeping in, having stayed up too late waiting for Santa, and her cries for Mommy and Daddy from the back bedroom seemed very far away. All three laps jumped up and ran to the source. Even today, Mr. Lap describes the strange shadow he saw on Jillie's wall as big as a man, but not a man at all. Only the children could see the monster himself, see how quickly he was peeling, dying and how clearly close he'd come to taking Jilly with him. Before their eyes, lean lupine muscle turned to stinking gobs of fat green engorged with giant wiggling worms. Wolf eyes slid from wolf skull sockets, round and staring with slimy trailers of jelly. Watching Karen all the way down to the ground, conscious until bone separated from bone. Ribs falling at once into a neatly stacked pile of hellfire kindling. Their mother, unheeding, unseeing, ran to a hysterical Jilly, directly through the fast-fading thing. A set of disembodied jaws instinctually snapped at the woman's face when their two heads met. Jinny didn't appear to feel it, and then she was holding her shaking daughter, and the wolf was no more. And Terran's daddy watched everything helplessly, and Terran thought she would be sick. Try celebrating Christmas normally after that. Lupus presents as a wolf bite-esque rash, a purple flare across the nose and cheeks. Of course, it's not really caused by the bite of a wolf. We only used to think that. And that's where the disease got its name. Now we have fancy terms like genetic susceptibilities and environmental triggers masquerading the fact that we still don't know from where lupus comes or why. Who would think to study hell fiends? And how would you? when every last rogue one of them burns up with the dawn. Where the wolf bit Taryn's mother, she developed the rash. It looked like she'd been punched in the nose, and she had, by a screaming, flailing Jillian, when Virginia rushed to her across the room. The joint pain was easily explainable, some leftover toxin from the bite of the rat still percolating through her system. If she was more tired than usual, weak, if she had started sleeping through the morning's alarm, and then through meals, well... She had been working extra hard after all at her self-managed interior design consulting business. Everyone wanted extra sessions before the holidays for advice on new ways to decorate with old holly and garlands and candles and string lights. She deserved to rest, and the rash bruise was fading. And then. Then the purple had not healed, but migrated. A living, conscious thing that swam down deep inside Virginia Lapp's body, hiding as it incubated grew, became systemic. On the Sunday after Christmas, the purple burst like a sore, flooding this mother-of-two's body with a putrid, nearly rabid blood sauce. She felt the popping near her heart, like an overfull pimple. Diagnosis? Sepsis. Taryn stared at the purple arm, and she could not at first force her eyes upward. From a forearm to the delicate crook of elbow, the veins there each and all exploded, drained, flattened flat-lined. From elbow to shoulder, an ice blew the curve of biceps that hugged so honestly. From shoulder to face, Mom's nose was buried in her own armpit, and only the ruined, blistered, mush of hamburger eyes glared at Terran accusingly. She wanted to close them. Terran really wanted, with all her being, to close those ruined eyes. To afford her mother one precious ounce of last-ditch dignity. She wanted it. And she ran away anyway, and she never, ever forgives herself a cowardly daughter's indiscretion. God, I love that story so much. It uh, just strikes so many chords for me. As a self-proclaimed mama's girl, ooh, the mom stuff in there. Huh. This story, is, uh, it gets me on every level. And using horror and fantasy to deal with real-life horror, like, ah! Uh, Jess, amazing work. I love it. That's enough from me. Let's hear from Jess in the virtual flesh.
1: Okay, here I come. Hey! (laughs) Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. I love this. Thanks. In the, in the celebration of the story, the purple, I had to wear a purple. I, love, I was trying to think of something purple to wear to be in theme, and I don't
0: have a single purple thing. That's okay. I think you killed it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. This is just me without makeup. This is it's a good time of year for me because I don't have to try and, you know. Fantastic. We should all be <laughs> so lucky. <laughs> thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you. Thank you. Um, So your story is amazing. I wrote to you a little bit about it, um, but I think it's just beautiful, like haunting and it's, it's horror, but it's like this very, I I don't know. I don't have another word for other than it just felt
1: very beautiful to me. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah. Really came out of a real life horror for me. Mm -hmm. My mom was diagnosed with lupus and while she seems to be uh, in remission from it, At the time I was working on that story, I was really thinking about um, well, my life with my sister and I, and Mm -hmm. our reaction to that, and if things took a turn for the worst, how would we deal with that? And so, writing that short um, story—I don't want to give too much away—if if if you're going to get into it, but really was exploring how uh, children would deal with a parent who was diagnosed with lupus, and the real life horror of that and the horror that they might imagine uh, as a response to that.
0: Yes. Perfect. And you can spoil it. I'm going to do, I'm going to read the story and then I'm going to play the interview. So you can okay. do spoilers if you like. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it very much, it just perfectly captured that. Um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer a couple of years back. She's fine now. um okay. and in remission, but even as an adult and then reading this story and I, I have like I'm such a mama's girl for sure so then reading this like it just it was it just struck all the chords for me like i was a, an imaginative monster kid you know like the girls in the story and then thinking about how i would have handled that as a kid versus as an adult and i'm just like god this is so perfect like i just felt so much reading it wow thank you so much yes.
1: gorgeously done it's a very special story absolutely Well, I'm happy it's found a home with your podcast. Yes, I'm so excited (laughs) for everyone to hear it.
0: Um, So were you inspired by Little Monsters a little bit?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, for sure.
0: Yeah, and you did a little shout out to uh, Maurice and uh, Brian as well, (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think that, um, you know, I must have tried a hundred times when I was little to go under my own bed Mm -hmm. and just go down to the land of the monsters and Um, and be with them. And so it was great to get to imagine that in the story. (laughs) Yes, it was awesome. It was a nice little like tribute to that, but it had completely its own vibe. Awesome. Well done.
0: (laughs) Um, Is there anything else you want to talk about specifically about the story?
1: Oh, um, just, I mean, I'll give a shout out to my sister as well, because uh, the two main characters, main character is Taryn and then her sister, Jelly. Um, and there's a, a reference in the story to the bracelet, which is really just the idea of the kind of invisible thread that um, connects siblings. And so uh, this goes out to her as well.
0: Nice. Are you the big sister or little sister? Big I'm sister? the big sister. Yeah. I, I
1: figured. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't, it just has a big sister vibe to it. I just, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think that um, as most first children, can understand there's a certain added responsibility and weight mm-hmm. that comes with being the firstborn and and feeling like you have to set an example for and be responsible for your siblings sometimes. And uh, and so my character, Taryn, really shoulders that um, as well, especially even when it comes to her mother's death, which isn't her fault, but mm-hmm. she takes that on uh, the way the children do sometimes.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, I think it's going to resonate with so many people. Like it, I, it very deeply resonated with me. <laughs> awesome. Um, I also have your book here, Head Cheese. I haven't hey. to dive into it yet, but I'm very excited. Do you want to okay. talk a little bit about uh, this?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Head Cheese came out from Sin Estate in December 2018. Uh, it's my debut novel. And um, it's, I want to say it's very different from the story, but also the same in that it is based in a real life horror, uh, if you want to call it that, which is the idea of amputation fetishes. Um, it's an exploration of that, and uh, so it gets quite graphic and fun, and it's also romantic as we explore people's relationships, uh, characters in the book. It follows 30 different characters, so it's oh, a wow. cast. That's, yeah. a,
0: that's a large universe that you had to create for that.
1: Yeah, think of it like uh, the movie Crash, or one of those ensemble hmm. cast movies where you're following all the different character storylines, but then at the end, there's an event that ties them all together. That's the premise under which head function. Okay.
0: Are you hoping or, to turn this into a, a movie version eventually?
1: No, I mean, that's always kind of the dream, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, if you flip through it, you'll see that the book was also illustrated by Chris Panettiere. And so I think if I had my druthers, the book would be adapted as like a rotoscope version okay. that was kind of animated. And, and Chris would get to be a part of that because I think he just did a beautiful job. But awesome. who knows? someday. <laughs> one of those that
0: you're talking about there. Yeah, that's it. Nice. Beautiful stuff. All right. I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this one. Thank you. All right. All right. You ready for your questions?
1: I'm ready. You're
0: ready. Okay. Who is your favorite final girl?
1: Okay. Easy. Uh, Ripley on Alien. Okay, good. Easy. No, no contest. Yes. She's just the consummate badass. Uh, never needs to like depend on anybody else to save her, um, saves, well, she doesn't save everybody else, but she needs <laughs> really to survive anyway, uh, for four more movies, right. And the, right. the franchise. So, um, she's great. And, you know, I think like a lot of kids grow up wanting to go to, uh, to become a, an astronaut, like mm-hmm. they watch space camp commercials and stuff. If I grew up wanting to become an astronaut, it was because of Ripley and the example she set in space. So nice.
0: You're much cooler than I am. I wanted to be an astronaut because of Nickelodeon, but Ripley's a cooler. inspiration. Look They always had those space camp promos and I was like,
1: that's so cool. Yeah, I would,
0: I, yeah, I would barf everywhere though. There's no way I could be an astronaut. I'd just be puking the whole time. Motion sickness like <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I'd be fired on my first day
1: of space camp. <laughs> I think I could only go once we had like fully contained I don't know, environments that you could Mm. walk around in, like when we colonize Mars. Otherwise, I would get very restless just being in a little space capsule. Yes,
0: quite claustrophobic as well, yeah. (laughs) Cabin fever, but in space, no thank you. Hmm, sounds like another book idea. (laughs) It it definitely does. (laughs) Okay, what's your most traumatic horror experience? It can be a real life horror, or it can be something, a a horror movie that scarred you horribly as a child.
1: Mm. So um, even as a kid, I was obsessed with the supernatural and the paranormal. And uh, my sister that I mentioned and I liked to play Bloody Mary in the bathroom. You go in the bathroom and, you know, there are different variations of the game depending on where you grew up. But uh, in our version, you go in, you lock the bathroom door, turn the lights off, say Bloody Mary's name three times, and then she appears in the mirror and is supposed to, if you don't get out of there fast enough, steal you into the mirror with oh, her. God. Um, so we never actually had, you know, a, a real encounter to speak of with that. It was more just psychologically scaring ourselves. But very interestingly, when I was in college, I was studying anthropology and uh, cultural beliefs and magic and witchcraft. And I decided to do project where I researched Mary Tony, Mary Tony, uh, Bloody Mary, and um, and looked at regional differences across the U.S. and Canada and Mexico with how this game was played. And I just started by interviewing girls in my dorm room uh, and going door to door and saying, hey, did you ever play the game Bloody Mary? What were the rules by which you played? Did you have any experiences? And just interviewing people that way. And the best part was I came to this girl's room. Her name was Maisie. I kind of knew her and she opened the door and I asked her the question and she screamed and slammed the door on my face. Oh, no. and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I clearly touched the nerve. Here. I didn't mean to, maybe I should have prefaced that with some kind of, and, uh, and so I went back later just to make sure she was okay. And she told me about how, um, as a kid, she had played that and had had an experience that scared her so badly that she was a teenager before she was able to take a shower by herself in the oh bathroom, to have the door open and someone standing in the doorway just to be able to go in the bathroom. And, uh, and so anyway, that just really spoke to me of the power again of belief of perhaps imagination, perhaps of the supernatural. I'm not here to say one way or the other, but, um, yeah, Bloody Mary all the way.
0: Shit. That's a great one. I was never, ever brave enough to try that. Like my version was the same as yours as to how to invoke her. And I was like, I don't need any part of that at all.
1: Wow. Yeah. I had to know.
0: (laughs) I just, I just never needed the proof. I was like, I'm not going to say that she does not exist and I don't need her to manifest and like suck me into the mirror. Like I'm totally cool. and not messing with it.
1: What's funny is today I feel that way about like Ouija boards. Uh-huh. I don't even want to touch them just because I don't even want to go there. Right. But I was braver as a child. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> Your frontal lobe is not f- like fully developed yet. We did a lot right. of stuff. I played with Ouija boards as a kid. I would not do that now.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm like, I respect you and you stay there and I will be here. Please don't come and mess with me. Thank you. <laughs>
1: I've probably seen too many movies at this point about what happens when I- you...
0: We're educated about it now. Yeah. We know that we know the consequences. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So now, if something happens to us, it's like, well, it's on you. You were fully aware of the consequences, and you chose to partake anyway.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> uh, what's your favorite horror franchise?
1: So, I actually really like the Saw franchise.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Uh, I'm a big fan of body horror in writing. I think it's one of the most effective types um, of of writing about something scary. Like you're able to almost encapsulate when it's well done the same squeamishness that you see on film uh, as you you can capture that in a book as well. So it's my favorite type of horror to read and I also really like the soft franchise um, because of that, at least the earlier ones. And, and also that notion of um, like you find out as the series goes on that there are times when people are stuck in the room and they could have escaped if they worked together. Or there's always like some catch that not everybody had to die. And so I like the, the psychological aspect of that too, that makes you think about if you were in that situation, how you would handle it. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. I I don't know where I left off on the Saw series. I know I haven't seen all of them, but I think I'm yeah. pretty close to it. But that, that was a really cool series in just the it's not a typical villain. You know, there's like a method to the madness. And like you said, there's, there's an escape. It's just, they're perceiving it as no escape. And it's like, could have had a totally different outcome had they approached it differently, which was an interesting kind of element to add to it. And I don't know what I would do. I don't know if I could dig a key out from behind my own eyeball. Like, I don't know if
1: I'd be able to do that. Yeah. Well, even the people who were chosen to be in the rooms, right. Was uh, people that the the bad guy thought mm-hmm. we doing wrong in the world for some reason and he was serving this kind of vigilante justice to right them, which was also interesting kind of like heath ledger's joker in the yes. that batman series
0: yeah. yeah the morality tale always makes it a little more interesting than yeah. just like a random grab off of the street it's like oh okay. you were your business was known and you were being watched for these reasons and this is why you were chosen yeah <laughs> Um, is there any horror film that you would like to see remade or rebooted?
1: Well, uh, link to that. I'm pretty excited for Chris Rock to reboot the Saw's franchise. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> his provided everything goes well with COVID, I think it's still supposed to come out next year in 2021. So, oh wow, okay. Uh, I will definitely be in line to see that.
0: Yeah, in a yeah. real movie theater, hopefully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are there any horror films you think should be off limits to reboots and remakes?
1: You know, I have only just now started to go back to some of the earlier horror movies, like from the 70s and 80s, um, because I started listening to the Nightmare University podcast, which explores a lot of those in depth and and gave me a new appreciation for some of those older films. And so as I've worked my way through those, um, I still think probably the one that should never be remade is The Exorcist. I feel like that's a popular answer, and I feel like that's a really good answer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there have films that have attempted it, right? Like the Exorcism mm-hmm. of Emily Rose, or, I mean, there are, there are a bunch of exorcism films, but I don't know that you will ever replicate Reagan and the puke and the uh-huh. whatever, in quite the same way.
0: It was so iconic and just so horrific, like seeing those images, the crucifix scene, like there's so many scenes that have just stuck with me. And like, I didn't watch it from start to finish until I was older but I had seen pieces of it like on TV yeah. and stuff and just the little bits that I had collected over the years, like they stick with you forever, you know? Right. And it's like, I mean, there are a lot of, like you said, possession films, but nothing replicates that feeling of just like that, like what the hell is happening on the screen right now?
1: Yeah. For that same reason though, I really appreciate stories that um, that give a different take to the exorcism or possession story. Um, I just read uh, Paul Tremblay's Head Full of Ghosts, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's a really good one that looks at um, the possession story from a totally different angle and just kind of inverts it from the inside out. So uh, so I appreciate stories that do that, but try to remake The Exorcist, I don't think so. Not going to happen. Okay,
0: <laughs> Head Head Full of Ghosts, that's what head it's called? Head Full of Ghosts, yes. Okay, I will check that one out too, after Head Cheese. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Okay, you're the final girl in a horror film. What do you want your kill song to be as you're doing like your montage which is like badass mowing down the villains?
1: Yeah, so so I picture it as um, kind of an ironic scene in which there's lots of violence happening but it's very like dainty and beautiful at the same time. Okay. So I actually would like to borrow the whistle song from Kill Bill. Ooh, okay. Yes. That's a fun one. Yeah. It doesn't have like the super dramatic climactic sound to it, but I think if that was playing and then we just faded out Mm -hmm. on a whistle and a black screen, that would be, I'd like that. That's pretty cinematic.
0: I like that. And I feel like just from reading the purple and like you're the purple costume, I feel like it's very on brand with your kind of whore. Oh, okay. (laughs) Thanks. I can see it. I like it. (laughs) Okay. One more question for you. Why whore?
1: Why horror? I mean, there's no other genre. It was never a question. I, even as a kid, I grew up listening to ghost stories that my mom would tell us on long road trips to pass the time and the era before, well, I did have a game boy, but there certainly (laughs) weren't iPads or things Mm -hmm. like that to entertain you. And so my mom would entertain us by telling us ghost stories she made up on the spot. Um, And I, so I think it started there and then it moved to RL Stein and goosebumps and then it became Stephen King and, and then really expanded out of there. Um, And why that's always resonated with me, I guess, I just, I don't wanna say I have a pessimistic view of life. I think of a very realistic view of life. And I think horror movies help us process some of the real horror in the world in a way that's safe on the screen. Mm -hmm. And so you can go through that whole experience of anxiety and feeling like you're halfway to dead or somebody's chasing you or whatever the, the premise is and then when you encounter real life horrors of a kind whether it's a mom being diagnosed with lupus or or our president or anything like that you have a few more coping (laughs) mechanisms uh, you can use as tools um it's i don't know it's pretty much exclusively what i read now horror stories and memoirs by strong ladies that's what I go to all the time I love
0: that that's that's like a stellar brand
1: you know I like that
0: (laughs) so your mom's a storyteller as well
1: yeah uh funny enough I mean it's not something she does anymore but I have very vivid memories of that from the childhood in the car for sure I don't know where it came from
0: that's really cool That's, that's awesome that you grew up to be a writer and stemming from that even if your mom wasn't necessarily a writer she was a storyteller and you are a storyteller as well it's
1: pretty neat Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she wasn't super supportive of my career pivot when I I was going to become a writer um, and I'm a ghostwriter professionally. And so I'm writing all the time. Now that I've been doing that for so many years, I think she understands the value of it, but she was scared for me. Like all parents are when I did something that was. (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's so funny that it's like a profession until it's like your kid wants to do it. And then it's like, Oh no, I'm like, people make money doing this all the time. It's a profession. But when it's like your kid, it's like, ah, you don't want to be like an accountant or something. It's like, no, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) As enticing as that is, I I think it's not for me and I'll pass. (laughs)
1: Yeah. All right. That's all I've got for you. Do you have anything else? Oh, what do I want to say? Um, this was awesome. Thanks so much for the opportunity. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It was, so, it was awesome to have you. Is your background, is that a Zoom background or is it actually painted onto your wall?
1: That is actually painted on the wall. That's very cool. I love it. Yeah. I, I can't take credit. It's I'm in a conference room at my office, but. Okay. Uh, yeah. Nice. It's a good Zoom background and it like frames you perfectly within that triangle, that little gray mountain there. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Nice. That's, yeah that's good. <laughs> just take <laughs> credit for it. Just be like, oh yeah, I just, I just threw that up this morning for the Zoom call. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. It was amazing to have you. Um, How do you say your last name? I want to make sure I'm not fucking it up in the intro.
1: Oh, that's okay. It's a long A. Hageman. Hageman. Got
0: it?
1: Okay.
0: Yes, you got it. Okay. (laughs) All right. I will try my best and I apologize in advance if I mess it up in the intro
1: no, don't worry about it. It's great.
0: All right. Thank you again so much. And I'm super excited to share this with everybody. And happy Halloween.
1: Yeah. Happy Halloween.
0: Thank you. Bye.
1: Yeah.
0: Bye. Thank you so much once again to Jess for coming to our virtual Halloween party and sharing your beautiful story with us and for chatting it up. Truly such a fan of your work. And it was such a pleasure to have you. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please Rate, comment, subscribe to help other people find this weird little thing that we've made here. Honestly cannot tell you how much it means to me when you guys write and say that you enjoyed an episode or you share stuff, like it's just, it is really quite cool, so thank you. I'm so happy this weird little project is finding a home with you all. And that's all I got. Keep checking back all month long because we've got that virtual half ass Halloween party going every week, non-stop for October. We might just have to carry this into year round. I'm having a really good time of just that surprise moment of waiting for the zoom camera to turn on and then, surprise, that's my costume. i dressing up myself. I mean, I kinda tend to do this mid-week anyway, so might as well utilize it, right? Does it? I mean, it's a tiny screen that I can see on my camera, but from here, and I don't have my glasses on, but it definitely looks like I have a weird like mustache situation. They're supposed to be my teeth. I don't think I ever really do skeleton makeup and like love the teeth, that's always the part that I'm not a fan of, but right now it looks like a mustache and it's not what it's supposed to be, so, Mm. yeah. Well, what are you going to do, teeth stash. Mm. And you can pick up Jess's debut novel, Head Cheese, over on Amazon. I'm super excited to dig into this bad boy. I think it's going to be really disgusting, I'm like nervous and excited at the same time. The good kind of disgusting. The kind we like. On-brand disgusting. I'm here for it. I like it. I dig it. Also, shout-out to Melissa K, Melissa on Twitter. She has a really cool Halloween 3 art piece. Uh, There's a skeleton in that picture that kind of just happens to look sort of what I look like when I'm dressed as a skeleton. But today I tried to intentionally pay tribute to her really cool art piece. I don't have a pink shirt. This is as colorful as I got, so... Here we go. Tribute to Melissa Kay. Check it out. Alright, that's all I got. I will catch you creeps next week for some more spooky shit.